Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Welcome back to Mornings Without Carmen. It is about four minutes after the top of the hour here on the 28th of January. And boy, oh boy, Paul Perot, I am still swimming in that conversation we just had with Dr. Timothy Tennant. And that phrase that he used, cultural catechesis, Mm -hmm. I keep kind of thinking about that. Like, what is catechizing us or what is instructing us about things Mm -hmm. in our country? And when it comes to matters of gender and sexuality... It seems like we really need some materials that can catechize us in some faithful and historically true ways. This is true. I mean, okay, the reality is if you go read, like, the, the epistles of Paul, right? most of them were, were in response to crises. Yes. And he said, okay, let's get back to the gospel. You always notice that with his, his, his epistles, he gets back to, okay, here's the core issues of the gospel. Now, here's how they apply to our crisis. Yeah, and I started out the conversation in gender and sexuality course with the, the question of my students. So it's not that we haven't been taught about these issues at all. The, the question is, what is the reliability or the credibility of our teachers? Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you name the teachers of the day that are instructing us or, again, catech- catechizing us in... Say the, that 10 times fast. I, I think there's almost no chance. I couldn't say emolument uh, earlier this week, <laughs> although I, it's still, you know, now I've got a word of the day, but I asked them that question and, and they tend to say, well, if I'm honest, here's what I, here's where I've been taught is is Netflix or yeah. Amazon Prime or my social media accounts, and it could be uh, New Girl or I can't remember what the shows are out these days or yeah. Red is the New Black or Orange or Juice yeah. or Forty Shades of Some Color. Like these are our instructors. Mm-hmm. It's no wonder that there's such confusion if we are giving credibility, if the source of what we think about these things happens to be maybe 19-year-old script writers in their pajamas in Hollywood, right, that are writing these things. Why do we put our trust in Netflix episodes for our best possible understanding of flourishing within the context of sexuality? Exactly. And part of it, too, is, okay, they present their view in a winsome what seemingly is beautiful Right. Way. It kind of draws us in. It kind of draws us in. Okay, are we doing the same? Because what God's design is, is really, really, really beautiful. Yeah, and it gets tricky, too. And, and I really appreciated what Dr. Tennant had to say, that when the church only maybe has an hour a week or so, and that hour typically is spent, uh, you know, half of it in, in worship, which is so appropriate, and maybe we're celebrating the communion table, which is so appropriate. But you, you just simply can't undo all of the messages of the culture within a 20-minute sermon of any kind. So I think it, it does invite us into a different journey moving forward about how to catechize ourselves in, in what we're thinking about related to all that. And we have just the person to help us continue doing that coming up next year. We just talked with one president of a seminary, that Timothy Tennant of Asbury Theological Seminary. And our, our guest coming up after a short break here is Dr. David Clark, who has been the president of Bethel Seminary, is now in the emeritus status. But David has been very thoughtful about so many different cultural issues of the day. And he's going to help us understand what sources of truth that are the most credible for moving forward that can help us think in the freedom, wonder, delight, and laughter or laughter of God's kingdom. So stay with us. More to come here. I'm Dr. Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge.
Welcome back to the show. Delighted to be joined by Dr. David Clark here this morning to continue this conversation and sort of the, the, the credible sources or the lack thereof that inform our thinking. Good morning, David. Good morning. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's always great to be with you as well. Uh, just so helpfully kind of walk through the issues of the day. Uh, and and in terms of just sort of your observations, if I use this phrase cultural catechesis, which is a little bit new to me this morning, but I'm kind of buzzing with the idea that we are catechized or taught by our culture, what are some of the first things that go through your mind related to cultural catechesis? Well, that's a great question. And uh, this is all about the issue of truth, of course. And as Christians, you know, we we believe in truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and truth matters. Uh, so on that point, I just need to make a quick correction, which is that uh, it's not true that I was the president of Bethel Seminary, uh, but actually I was the vice president and dean. So um, just to make that... Uh, See some fake there, news from me this morning, David, some yeah, fake news. <laughs> sorry to need to start out on a bad note there, but uh, you know, truth matters. So we need to give each other space and permission to say, hey, wait a second. I need to I need to clarify that right indeed uh, just to be on this on the street page here. But the idea of cultural catechesis, I think, is a is a great idea. It's certainly new to me as well. I have not used that specific phrase, but the idea of uh, discerning and learning how to uh, understand our culture uh, and to respond to it in a godly way, I think, is a terrific thing. And catechesis has the uh, has the idea of habit. So it's not something that just uh, you do once, but rather it's something that you build into your life as uh, as a habit. Uh, and it turns out that spiritual growth and physical well-being and all of these things do depend on the regularities and the rhythms of life. And so I think this idea of uh, making it a habit or a routine uh, to evaluate what's coming into our brain from the broader culture uh, is a terrific idea. It really is. And that's what I want to follow up with at this point is that we do tend to have habits, whether it's going to on our phone to check our social media accounts or the latest news feeds that are coming through sort of cold out for us by uh, Apple News or Google News or whatever it is and, and framed for what they think our, our favorite choices might be. And so that gets us into what you and I were chatting about over the phone last night in preparation for the show is the idea uh, of sources and, and how we distinguish between credible sources as we try to walk out our understanding in this life and non-credible sources. So lead us in that conversation. How do we distinguish because there's so many potential sources that we can engage with these days? Right. Well, I do agree that uh, we've got to be mindful about uh, what we trust and what we don't trust. And, you know, to be a distrusting person seems like a bad thing, but actually it's that combination uh, of trusting that which is wholesome, good, and reliable, and being untrusting, as if it were, as you, as it were, uh, uh, toward things that are not uh, wholesome, good, and trustworthy. And that is an extremely important skill. There is no mature uh, person who isn't doing that sort of on a constant basis. Uh, if you think about it, we have to depend on experts for our knowledge and understanding of the world. If I need my car fixed, uh, I have to go to a mechanic. Now, if I go to my car fixed, get my car fixed, I don't go to my electrician. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't go to my uh, neurologist. Um, now, if I've got a real pain in my stomach, I do need to go to a physician, uh, you know, an internist, somebody who understands that part of the world, and I'm not going to go to my car mechanic. And so we're making judgments all the time in order to get the kind of detailed expertise that we need to live our lives. And, you know, it'd be nice if we didn't have to do that, but the, the reality is that God's world is beautiful and creative and incredibly complicated. And so we have to manage our sources. We have to evaluate our sources. 
And there's some good tips as to how to do that. Yeah, I would love to get into some of those tips, actually, David, because when I know when I have a question, I'm going to automatically sort of by reflex these days, Google it. And let's say that my lawnmower has broken down and I need to figure out how to fix it, not being terribly mechanically inclined. I'll head to some YouTube videos to see, you know, things about spark plugs or carburetors or whatever it might be. And, and I'll admit that I don't do a lot of discerning. Basically, my discernment is, well, this video telling me how to fix it has 10,000 views and this video has 100 views. And so obviously the 10,000 viewed video must somehow be more credible. But boy, it seems like there's more to it. The difference between something that has gone viral and something that which is credible. I mean, what, what are some tips that we have to, to see the credible ones in the midst of the viral ones? Well, sure. The whole question of fixing my lawnmower, you know, if I try the video with 10,000 and the lawnmower doesn't run, I've got real fast feedback that tells me that this was not the right path to go. Right. Uh, so, But there are other things where I don't get quite the same feedback. I, I heard you talking for the last hour about how we, make, how we live our lives in the area of relationships and sexuality. And the thing is, you don't get, you don't get feedback necessarily on, on whether you've made right choices in an instant kind of way. Mm. And so uh, that is a challenge in the things that are more complex and the things of the heart uh, the things of wisdom are more complex even than your lawnmower is. You know, it's fairly straightforward. Is it running or not running? Um, I think one key question to ask is, you know, what is the motive of the person who is uh, giving us this piece of information? So I saw a video advertised a little while ago. It basically was saying something about the stock market. It was very, very alarmist. And just for curiosity, I looked at it. And sure enough, uh, seven-minute video, about six minutes in, they were selling a monthly newsletter for nine ninety-five. And I realized that this is an alarmist pitch that has very little to do with the truth of the matter. It has much more to do with the fact that he's selling something. Hmm. So I think a key element to look at is motive. Uh, and uh, what is behind this, uh, is, this message? Is, are they trying to get something out of me? Are they trying to gain cultural influence? Are they trying to gain political power? Are they trying to gain financial uh, well-being? Uh, or is this a person who really has no skin in the game, as it were? And that's a great place to start in terms especially with all the stuff we're inundated, on, uh, inundated with by, from the Internet. Uh, a lot of that stuff has ulterior motive. And you need to really, as a, as a wise Christian person, say, hmm, I'm going to pause on this because uh, this person's trying to get pull, pull the wool, wool over my eyes. David, we're going to take a short break. When we come back in just a minute, I want to keep going with this conversation a bit and, and some of the difference in the quality or caliber of the information you can find maybe on the first page of Google versus information that you can find when it's been properly vetted, possibly published, maybe peer-reviewed, some of this kind of language that, again, to cut through the fog of the day, the first page on Google may not be the most appropriate place to start. And so I want to get your wisdom on that part of it here next on Mornings Without Carmen. about 18 minutes past the top of the hour. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmela Burge, and we are talking with Dr. David Clark, the former vice president of Bethel Seminary, and we better get that right since we're trying to pursue truth here this morning, David. And uh, 
talking a little bit about our sources of information and where do we go to sort of train us, to instruct us, to catechize us, as it were. And the first page of Google, dare I say, might be maybe the the primary place for most people. I, I think the statistics show that when you're looking or trying to inquire about something, that Google is the top place, obviously, in which people go, but that 97% of the time, we don't make it past the first page of Google. And, and I would suggest that even when I get into page two of Google, I think, I better reframe my question here because I'm not getting the information I want as if the second page is somehow substandard to the first. But boy, we've really been conditioned about where to go for credible information just on this sort of basis, right? Oh, I think we might. Did we lose David? I'm still here talking. Oh, there we go. We got you back here, David. So go ahead. Yeah, just that idea of credible and first page of Google. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, of course. And uh, one of the things to realize is stuff that floats to the top on the Internet the stuff that is uh, clicked on more often. And so it sort of privileges uh, the majority uh, or the larger numbers. Uh, And let's realize that majority opinion and uh, what's true aren't necessarily connected. I mean, there are often people who have uh, spoken from a minority position and actually they have the facts on their side. And I think that's an important thing to remember: is that majority opinion is not just always the, is, is not always the truth. And in fact, uh, I think you'll agree that biblically-minded Christians are not a majority of American citizens. But that doesn't make it false. Uh, so that's certainly one place to begin. The second thing to think about is that there are lots of systems by which we have uh, ways of uh, getting experts and, and validating expert opinion. And this is extremely important, for example, in the medical field. So if I've got, if I need brain surgery, uh, I'm going to go to a person, you know, who has uh, been certified by the American Medical Association as a person who has truly studied this, and, and there are statistics on my side, and so forth. Uh, there are always temptations to go with someone who who claims to have this kind of knowledge. Uh, but to respect expert opinion that has been validated by people from independent sources, this this is really a better and more reliable way to go to find the kind of wisdom we need for our lives. Yeah, and you talked earlier about the idea of catechism being the building of habits. And, uh, and so as we're talking just broadly about where we get our information from, what maybe just a simple suggestion and a very practical tip is that as you're looking for information in a given day, that it's, it's not necessarily bad to Google it, but maybe just take a second and take an extra five minutes out of your life to try to access a different kind of information just to build some dissonance in your life that maybe Google is not the purveyor of all knowledge. If, if somebody was to do that, do you have tips where people can go to access different kind of libraries of knowledge, as it were? Yes, I think that Google is a fine source in the sense that it, it pulls up everything that's related to a particular topic. But it, if you're really going to be a person who, who cares about what's true, and in the long run, we believe that living your life according to what's true is going to be beneficial, it's going to be wise, it's going to lead to human flourishing. So these are all good things that we want to pursue. But it's always wise to sort of read both sides of the, uh, of the issue. And uh, getting an alternative perspective uh, is a way of helping me spot maybe some errors in logic or some flaws in the evidence or some hidden motives that I might not be able to spot on my own. And so when we assign assignments in seminary, for example, or in a good educational setting, we want our students to read both sides. I remember one time that a student wrote a paper for me on the topic of creation and evolution. 
and every single source was written by the same person. Now, I happen to agree with his conclusion, but I marked him down because I said, look, if you're going to really check out the truth, you have to be able to, to read and process and think through your opponent as well as the person who agrees with you, because you've got to see if there are some flaws, the person is going to point that out as a critic. That's really a helpful approach to make sure you're reading on two sides or, or viewing perspectives from both sides of the, uh, of the issue. And obviously, David, the, the scriptures are a primary source of information, wisdom, and knowledge, uh, being authoritative, being inspired by God. You and I both share that view and, and, and seek the scriptures first and foremost for so many of our uh, understandings of God's kingdom. But what you just described also applies to scriptures because you will have two or three or four different people looking maybe at the same scripture passage and coming to somewhat different conclusions about it. So so looking at the scriptures and trying to understand the wisdom that we're invited into there to read widely as well and maybe, maybe not just listen to your favorite podcaster or uh, to one given sermon on it, to become a critical thinker means to access a lot of different sides of something. And boy, it brings a bit more confidence, doesn't it, in terms of just being swayed around by one bit of information from one source? I think that's absolutely true. And I say to my students that as you have worked through an issue, you, you begin to read and then you read again and then you follow up with another source and one source will mention another person, you follow up and read that and after a while, you start to say, hey, you know what? I'm coming back around the circle to the first source, and I think I've got a, a general understanding of the lay of the land on this issue. And so I know that I'm not just being sort of taken in by a one-sided presentation, but I actually know both sides, and now I'm in a position to make judgments about this question uh, in a smart fashion. So to me, these principles apply to Scripture as well. Scripture interprets Scripture, we say, as we try to read it. And if you take one verse out of context— even as Shakespeare says, the devil uses scripture to, to support his position just like anybody else. It's just that he uses it out of context and puts a twist on it that isn't intended by the original author. <laughs> so again, what are the multiple perspectives which then winnow us down and, and get rid of the straw and help us grab onto the wheat? Uh, so helpful, David. I think about uh, parents and grandparents that are raising their kids or around their grandkids week in and week out and, and having to shepherd them, right? Have to be their hedge or to raise them in the, in the ways of God's kingdom. What, what sort of practical advice do you have to just help parents and grandparents maybe shepherd their kids and say, hey, look, just because it's coming through your phone or just because it's trending on social media or TikTok or something like that doesn't mean that it's true. Do you, do you need to, to somehow have an alternative voice day in and day out? Or what does this look like? Because I know a lot of parents are wrestling with this idea. I think that's a great question, and I think just having conversations and discussion and asking questions, well, how do you know that, and where did you hear that, and who's telling you that, uh, and are there other perspectives that you might consider? I mean, these kinds of questions are, are more helpful. I think uh, especially young people, let's say teenagers, are going to be more open to discussion and dialogue than they are to criticism or assertion. Uh, and the evidence would show that if you have these conversations, just asking questions about how do we know this, uh, that, that you actually fortify your growing young person uh, as they move into the adult world. So a quick story, when my son was in uh, high school, he came home one day and he said to me, you know, Dad, my science teacher said, never believe anything that your parents tell you. <laughs> wow. And I, and I was like, where is this coming from? So, but here was my response. What if I said, never believe anything that your science teacher tells you? And suddenly that put my son in a sort of a dilemma. Okay, I've got these two sources. I've got my science teacher telling me one thing, obviously, and my father telling me another thing. 
Mm. I got to think this through and decide which way to go and evaluate these sources. And that was exactly what I wanted him to do. I didn't want to tell him the answer at that point in his life. I needed to prepare him for adult life. So what I was trying to do was get him to say, I've got to develop the skills in a godly biblical way uh, to figure out which source I'm going to trust. And we had a conversation around that that worked out really, really great. It wasn't an assertion, though. I asked a question, Mm. and then that, that led to a discussion. Uh, that idea of asking questions, David, so helpful. I'm wondering if I could hire you to stand in the front hall of my house, and as my kids come in, you just stand there and ask them <laughs> questions like that. That could be brilliant. Yeah, well, I, I'm uh, very, very expensive, but uh, yeah, I'm sure it would be worth every penny. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> no, you do just fine. You don't need me at all. Uh, well, I appreciate the wisdom you brought this morning for our listeners, David. We're uh, out of time for now, but boy, I'd love to follow up with these kind of conversations in the future. Thanks for taking. I know you're on vacation. Thanks for taking some time away to join us here this morning. Happy to do it, Peter. Blessings to you. Yeah, you too. We'll take a short break for some Breakpoint and bottom of the hour news. And when we come back for the last part of the show, I'll be joined by author Marcus Hall, who has written a book called Spiritual Wealth, A 40-Day Journey to Developing a Stewardship Mindset. And it will be part of a giveaway. So cue up the text line here in just a couple minutes on Mornings Without Carmen. So, Paul, I confess to being a linguistic nerd, as it were. Like, when I learn a new word, I want to use it about 13 times in the first half an hour or so. So it just becomes a part of my normal lexicon of life. But our listeners as well, too. We've got <laughs> Susan coming in with a great text about, you know, yeah. I think having some fun tongue-in-cheek with my use of the word catechesis. Can you read this for yes. us here, Paul? She said, Peter, have a catechismic day being catechized by Christ and not anti-Christ culture. Oh, Susan, that is a wonderful <laughs> admonition and encouragement for us all. The idea of being able to learn within and, and through the mind of Christ. I love that idea. So maybe that is the phrase for the day for all of us here as part of the Mornings of Carmen show listeners. And, and part of it is that we would be catechized with the mind of Christ. Up next, we'll have a book giveaway. So stay tuned to more coming up in just a couple of minutes. This is Max Locato. Begin again. Fresh starts require a determined first step. You can't change yesterday, but you can do something about tomorrow. Put God's plan in place. God told Joshua to revisit the place of failure. In Joshua 8 and verse 1, he said, Arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. In essence, God told Joshua, Let's begin again, this time my way. In the first attack... Joshua consulted spies. In the second, he listened to God. In the first, he stayed home. In the second, he led the way. The first attack involved a small unit. The second involved many more men. The first attack involved no tactics. The second was strategic and sophisticated. The point? God gave Joshua a new plan. Begin again, he said, my way. When he followed God's strategy, victory happened. And friend, the same will happen to you. This is Max Lucado. All right, it is time to open up that text line again. We have a giveaway for a book that is written by author Marcus Hall called Spiritual Wealth, A 40-Day Journey to Developing a Stewardship Mindset. So we've got a few copies to give away here in the studio. If you want to text in the word book, that is B-O-O-K, text book to 877-933-933. 2484 over the next 15 or so minutes you'll be entered into a drawing to get this book excited to talk to the author right now good morning marcus 
Well, good morning, Peter. I'm excited to talk to you as well this morning. Yeah, you know, so many things that we can cover. Definitely want to get into your book. But so, uh, there's some headlines coming out of Wall Street and especially the stock market that, that grabbed my attention. Not that I'm a huge stock market follower uh, of any kind, but I did see that there's been some u- unusual activity in a company called GameStop, where I believe their stock price went from around $20 a share, where it sort of was muddling around. And a recent check this morning, after about a week or so, it's at $443 a share market. It's not because there's company-specific news. There's some pretty interesting things going on within Reddit and social media and all of that. So kind of clue us into what's going on here. Well, this is one of those things that I really try to uh, to warn clients about and folks that I work with of of really looking into to, to short-term reasoning for things like this. And that, listen, if, if something can go up uh, that much uh, in this short of time, it can go down uh, just as quickly uh, as well. And when you're getting financial information from Reddit, that may not be the best place that you want to be getting (laughs) financial information from as well. But this is where I really talk to folks about thinking about uh, making decisions in the short term uh, as opposed to the long term. And I actually have a a BFA, a behavioral financial uh, advisor uh, designation as well, because I think this is important when making uh, financial decisions. We have to focus on long term. And what our program is about here, what what you guys talk about all the time, focusing on the eternal rather than the temporary. I think it's the same thing as as the short term compared to the long term. We will make bad decisions when we just want something to happen right now and we panic or we're doing something out of elation. We need to to make sure to, to even kill, make these decisions uh, over the long haul. Yeah, it can be pretty dangerous to suddenly follow the herd, even though it's been pretty interesting to watch people seeming to band together on social media to try to drive a stock price up because they feel like in, in some maybe corrupt ways that stock price is being depressed. So they're actually trying to put some of the institutions out of business by doing what they're doing. It, it kind of reeks of a lame as a rob sort of moment, you know, the revolution of the people <laughs> against the against the government, right? It's kind of interesting to watch. There's a lot of odd stuff going on these days, and you just have to be careful. I, I, I had a client that actually uh, talked to me yesterday. Hey, why aren't we uh, involved in this? And I said, because I care about your long-term well-being. That's why. <laughs> I love it. Well, Mark, let's get into your book a little bit. I know that uh, you are, as you've referenced, a financial advisor. You also have an interesting title called a certified kingdom advisor. So I want to get into your book in a second. But, but how do we get qualifications of being a certified kingdom advisor? I love that title. Well, that is actually a part of an organization called Kingdom Advisors that was founded by Ron Blue and Larry Burkett. Uh, if anyone has any background in Christian stewardship, For sure. uh, authors or, or material, uh, those two names are going to come to mind over the last 20, 30 years, quite honestly. Uh, of course, Larry has passed on. Ron is still very active uh, with the organization, but it's for advisors like me who want to base what we do on biblical principle. And so we go through, they have a, a course that is uh, I've told folks, uh, I think it's like a master's course. It was actually more difficult than some college courses that I took uh, <laughs> years ago, but that's okay. Case studies involved and just helping us to bring the Word of God into our practices so that we can help others and we can help Christians that we work with to figure out how to how to spend the right way, how to pay off debt, how to save, how to give, uh, especially uh, for kingdom purposes. And it is a uh, it is one of the most rewarding things I've ever done professionally. And uh, it, it's just great to be able to lead folks in that way. Mm. Before getting into the specifics of the book and the content, Mark, I, I'm intrigued by the subtitle here, A 40-Day Journey to Developing a Stewardship Mindset. So as you're thinking about a niche that you wanted to fill with this book in helping people, kind of what went into that phrase, A 40-Day Journey to Developing a Stewardship Mindset? When God laid this uh, idea on me, it really was only about a year ago uh, that the origins of just even the idea of this book, 
uh, I started looking around, and, and I, stewardship has become a passion that's through the Kingdom Advisor work and things like that, and, and, and working with my clients over the last few years. And as I was looking around, I really didn't see anything or much at all in the devotional type setting. And I I saw this as if someone is trying to understand better what the Holy Spirit is trying to lead them to do from a uh, from a stewardship mindset. I really liked the idea of really concentrating on that for several weeks and and going back to Scripture uh, day after day. And and what I've what I prepared is not a I wouldn't call it a master's course for folks, but it it is a if you'll take 15 minutes in your Bible to go through what I've got set aside for each day with the questions that are there, that will lead you to other scripture, I believe, too, to really help understand that stewardship is not just about my money, but it's about my every decision I make in my life is about what am I giving back to God? Hmm. It's a great tip. Let's get into some of the tips of this again. If you're listening this morning, we are talking with Marcus Hall, author of Spiritual Wealth, and we do have a, a few copies of the book we can give away this morning. So text book to 877-933-2484. And Mark, I'm a bit of an exegetical knucklehead. I love getting into the text and, and some of what's there. The number 40 actually shows up, and you talk about a 40-day journey here. The number 40 shows up in so many different locations within the biblical text. And and within the literal 40 days, there's a message often being uh, sent by the biblical authors that within those 40 days, we're invited for old ways to die off and new ways yeah. to be birthed. There's sort of this new creation that comes from these 40 days, uh, whether it's in trial, tribulation. And and I'm guessing that's part of the invitation here, right, is to is to develop a new kind of mindset about our stewardship. We haven't talked about this beforehand, but yes, that was definitely purposeful, uh, without a doubt, in that so often when you see the number of 40 associated uh, in the Bible of a 40-day period, it, it is a time of renewal of learning of, of changing something about myself of making uh, of making my relationship with Christ better or with God better in some way and that's exactly what I was wanting to do here and really going through introducing the information and then how do I understand that and then apply that to my life over that time? Yes. Well, that's great. Well, let's uh, take a short break a little early here because I don't want to get started into the book and then having to, to take a break from it. And after about a minute or so, we'll come back, Marcus, and I'd love for you to kind of walk our listeners through maybe some of these days, some of these steps, some of what you see in this book. And then, of course, to get the full text to maybe move from an old way of life to a new way of life and stewardship. Stay with us. More to come with Marcus Hall, the author of Spiritual Wealth. Welcome back to Mornings Without Carmen. I'm Dr. Peter Kapsner filling in for today. And tomorrow, Carmen will be back in the host chair next Monday. And we are talking finances this morning and stewardship with author Marcus Hall. The book is Spiritual Wealth. Again, please go ahead and text BOOK to the studio at 877-933-2484. And you will be entered into a drawing for a giveaway of some of the copies that we have here. And Marcus, in terms of an overview of this 40-day journey, give us a sense of maybe... The, the overarching spirit of what's behind all of this? Well, I actually go back to some of you, you, meant, you were talking about the Certified Kingdom Advisor designation earlier, and I, and it really hit me at the way that Ron Blue and, and his folks prepared that material. And that in every chapter, uh, there seemed to be a know, believe, and do section and saying, first of all, we have to understand and we have to take in the information, whether we're reading it, watching it, whatever, we have to take in the information. And then we have to really challenge that information to what do I feel about this? How am I seeing, what is my biblical worldview? Is it matching what God says that it should match? And if not, we've got to align uh, ourselves with him. And that's really the first two parts of the book is understanding what God actually says about contentment, about stewardship, and then working on if I'm 
out of whack with him in some in some place, if I'm opposing him in some area, I know that I'm wrong. So I need to figure out why that is and get on get on par with him and, and get on his track so that then we can actually live this thing out and understand what he wants for our lives so that we can live a very re- rewarding, abundant life in him. And that's really the rest of the book is living this out. And so as we get into the nitty gritty then a bit in terms of day by day, walking it out, what are some things that you would sort of pull out from these 40 days that you think these are some of the key principles of moving towards a a different mindset of stewardship where we understandably, I think, Marcus, live in such fear about our future. The future is always unknown. It's sort of the nature of the future, right? And, And we can tend to lean into money and wealth as a way of saying, hey, look, I know I've got enough. And, and, uh, and then we feel comfortable there and we don't open up our hands and, and really steward in God's kingdom. So day in, day out, how do we get into some of the nitty gritty of this? And that's what I love is with all the uncertainty around us, that's the importance of making sure that our lives are based on God's principles because his principles are transcendent. It doesn't matter. All of this was written hundreds of thousands and thousands of years ago. And the same principles applied then that apply now that will apply until Jesus comes back to see us. And so there is no doubt that if we're basing our lives on these principles, he's going to reward us for that. And so when we talk about just a lot of people asking right now, you know, I'll get the question, how much should I spend each month? Well, there's no verse in the Bible (laughs) that takes you to say, Mark, you should spend this amount of dollars every month. That's based on your relationship with God. And and God, listen, he, it it is his prerogative and he chooses to uh, allow more funds, more money into some people's lives and others. But that doesn't mean that we can't find contentment in where we are, but that does mean that we have to talk with him and make sure that our relationship is right with him so that the spirit can guide us in knowing how do I do that? And that's what some of these days get into is not only from a spending aspect, but just the burden of debt. And I actually spend a few days on talking about debt because it can be so crushing. And to help folks get to the mindset, it, it's debt is, is not usually a financial problem. It's usually a spiritual problem, a heart problem, hmm. in that we're overspending and, and, and taking money, basically living for a lifestyle that if we were thinking about how we could give and how to save and how to do different things and live off of what we had left at the end of each month, the only way to create uh, good for yourself down the road and actually fulfill some of your uh, financial goals is to create margin each month, just meaning spend less than what you bring in. Yeah. <laughs> and God's principles show us how to do that, and we talk about that in the book. So that is, I think, a really, we, I, we hear that phrase, we're crushing debt. And, but that is, I think, a very appropriate descriptor of what debt can feel like. And, and long-term debt really does sap emotional and spiritual and relational energy from so many different walks of life. So if you did counsel somebody, what are some first maybe steps that say, hey, I've got $15,000 worth of debt. I have absolutely no idea how to get out of it. I, I can't seem to even make my other ends meet and stuff. But usually there are ways out of this. Do you have some sort of first step tips that might come out of your book or just general advice? Well, the first thing that I would say is, is that this probably didn't happen overnight. And so don't yeah. expect it to, to, to be done tomorrow. For the first thing we have to figure out is what, what are the habits and behavior that got us here and make sure that, that we're changing those. And, and that, that, again, is a spiritual thing, I believe, in a lot of ways, and that God can lead you to that. But then I'm a goal person. And setting the goals means not just thinking about something and, hey, I might want to do this. That's just a pretty thought. 
Setting goals actually means I need to think of something measurable. It needs to be written down. There needs to be an endpoint. I need to be willing to do it. I need to be able to do it. And then I need to be, I'd be able to track the progress over time. And so maybe it is, uh, if it's $15,000, maybe we can set aside and say, listen, if we could take, you know, $200 a month or $300 a month, whatever it is that you maybe could do, let's figure out how long of a time period it would take to achieve what you need to. And let's set a goal that says, if I do this month after month after month, this will eventually get me to where I want to go. What happens is that plays with your psyche and mm. now you're actually achieving something over time and it's making yourself, you're building your self-esteem because you see yourself as you track that goal, you're actually accomplishing something. And that means a ton. And that's all I do with my financial planning clients, even on bigger things is we're setting small goals to meet the big goal down the road. And it may be from a giving standpoint, it may be from paying off debt, it may be from saving more, whatever it is that's needed in that situation. So what I'm hearing you say, Marcus, is that it doesn't mean that you're going to alleviate the debt overnight, but even simply putting some goals in place and achieving those goals, however small they may be, it, it begins to change our mindset. And even if we have the same amount of debt, it might not feel quite as crushing if we're making some progress. I, th I think about wanting to lose 10 pounds, right? And if I can just spend one day <laughs> with the simple habit of not rolling through a bag of nachos at 11 o'clock at night, that that's going to be, I, I still haven't lost my 10 pounds, but it, it steps a new sort of direction moving forward and builds new kinds of habits. And I, I'm guessing that's some of the invitation in this. You are absolutely, that is when we talk about setting a stewardship mindset, uh, thinking like that is not natural. Right. You know, I tell folks a lot, my, my flesh is strong and it knows what it, what it desires. And, and it is very rarely in sync with what God wants me to do. Trust me, just because God gave me the ability to write this book and the words, I'm not perfect at these things. And, and I still have to practice at, at, at certain areas uh, of my life of stewardship and other spiritual things to, to fight what my flesh wants to do. And that's what I, what I hope to achieve with the book is somebody asked me a few weeks ago and I said, you know, quite honestly, conviction and not from Mark, but any of us, no matter where we are in our walk with God, we can always take a next step because we're not at perfection yet. We're not there. And so what I hope is that the Spirit is able to guide you through an area in life where you may be lacking a little bit, or maybe there needs to be a change in the way that you think. And once we start getting online with God and where He wants us to go, hey, when you're living in God's will, now you're in a sweet spot in life. And it doesn't mean you won't have problems, but it means that now you'll have a peace and a joy and an overall contentment with where you're going and how you're getting there. Mm, Marcus, it's so encouraging to hear that. Again, I, I know uh, full well the flesh is strong, like I said, at about 11 o'clock at night when the tostitos <laughs> are sitting there, brother. So I get it. Hey, this is great. Where uh, where can we find the book if we're interested in, in getting it? I know we've got a book giveaway going on, but I'm assuming it's out in all the normal channels. Without a doubt. My website is actually stewardshipmindset.com, stewardshipmindset.com. But please, Amazon, if you'll search spiritual wealth and Marcus Hall, you can find that on Amazon as well. And feel free, Facebook, Instagram, uh, at Stewardship Author. Uh, find me and follow me there as I, as I post and try to encourage folks throughout the week. Yeah, I definitely want to encourage people to go to stewardshipmindset.com. And again, Mark, then we can kind of cut Amazon out of the mix too and, and uh, help support the ministry that you're doing that can really help people get set free from some of these burdens that we are carrying. So thanks so much for joining us again. One more time, the word book to studio at 877-933-2484. We'll get you into the drawing. Thanks so much for joining us again, Marcus, the great wisdom, and have a great rest of the day. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, we'll take a short break and wrap up our show for the 28th of January on Mornings Without Carmen.
I don't know, Paul. I think we could do about another five hours of the show. We had a lot of great guests on this morning. That was really enjoyable insight from a lot of different it people. Yes, it really was. It was. Um, so remember, if you missed any of it, go back to uh, our our podcast. They're at MyFaithRadio.com. Look for the Carmen LaBerge show page, and they're all there. Or if you have the Faith Radio app, they'll be there later this morning. Yeah, easy to access all of what the, the wisdom and insight that our guests had. We had Ben Johnson at the top of the show talking a little bit about the nature of truth and media, as well as understanding maybe some of the trajectories in which our country is headed, be prepared and equipped as believers in the midst of whatever comes. And Timothy Tennant and David Clark going through the nature of truth and those things that, that we can trust and rely upon as we try to work through some of the really tricky issues of the day. And boy, Marcus sure was helpful in helping us with some of the, the financial things. Just so encouraging ways to maybe be set free. I was just thinking, oh, we have that new word of the day or the uh, we th- do. phrase of the day. Catechesis, catechize, so, catechism. Social catechesis. Yeah, it was cultural, cult- cultural, cultural catechesis. Cate- yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I, my poor students today, I've got to go to class here in about two, three minutes, and they're probably going to hear that phrase some 15 times. Susan, I know you texted in earlier. If I could live stream you into the class, uh, maybe you could say catechesis with me <laughs> all of those times. But it is a very helpful term to think about all of the ways in which we are being catechized day in and day out by social media feeds, by Netflix episodes, by Amazon Prime, by TikTok, by uh, different media sources and outlets. And I keep thinking in the midst of all of those voices, can we attend to the voice of our good shepherd? Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. Can we live within the resonant voice of our King of Kings? Great show. Thanks for listening again this morning. We'll catch you tomorrow on Mornings Without Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.